I'd like to introduce Onil, who is an Indian filmmaker, producer, screenwriter, and editor. Born as Onil Brandar in Samchi in Bhutan, Onil spent much of his childhood going to the cinema. I love that. He received a scholarship to study film editing at SFP TTC in Berlin, but returned to India and worked as an editor, scriptwriter, art director, music album producer, and song music video director. In 1992, Oni directed and produced his first documentary film on the painter Bijan Chaudhary, Falling Hero. He was best known for his film, My Brother Nikhil, based on the life of Dominic D'Souza. And this was a mainstream film with the actors Sanjay Suri, Juhi Chavla, and Purab Kohli. It was one of the first mainstream Hindi films to deal with AIDS and same-sex relationships. Onir has also won the International Awards Film for Best Film in Hindi for the anthology, anthology I Am in 2011. I Am is considered one of the first and largest crowdfunded and crowdsourced films through say, social media in India. That just goes to show the power of social media, don't you think? And the film dealt with single motherhood, child sexual abuse, displacement, and LGBTQI rights. Onir has also received the LECO Award, the Diversity Award of the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne in 2019, and in 2020, the Engendered Spirit of Independent Cinema Award at the Engendered Human Rights Film Festival in Delhi. In June 2022, Onir finished shooting Pinecone, a queer love story which is written by Ashwini Malik and Onir. It is currently in post-production and is loosely based on Onir's memoir, I Am Onir and I Am Gay, which he has co-written with his sister, Irene Dhar Malik, and published by Penguin Viking. I bumped into Onir at the Calcutta Literary Festival when he was talking about this book, and I thought, Onir is sure to have many, many stories to share around his own unconscious biases and his influences um, to get him to where he is. So I'm very, very grateful that you joined me today, Onir. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So, you know, Sora, Stories Seldom Told is, is, the, is our podcast, and some of your stories may well be seldom told, and there's certainly many stories that you share in your films. Um, but even before we, we explore that, obviously the stories that I've asked you to think about and share are stories of unconscious bias. And so I'm just wondering what you understand by unconscious bias. Uh, I think for being someone who was born uh, in a country or in a subcontinent rather where your identity was invisible, you know, in literature, in science, in cinema, everywhere, you know. And then at some point you come to recognize your identity when people around you are still not, you know. So, and then you realize, I mean, all through your life that you have lived, lived a life where constantly you hear other people talk about your identity without understanding how hurtful it is. So it's not necessarily, there are times when it's intended, but very often people who you love, who are your friends, who are people who care for you, you think they care for you, would make certain comments which uh, they don't realize how hurtful it is to someone else who uh, don't identify as, you know, 
as uh, heterosexual or, you know, various other things that come with it. Sure. And that's the thing, isn't it? When we, when we talk about how people instinctively react, we react from our own, what we see as our narrative, our lifestyle, our normal in inverted commas, um, whatever that means to us. And unless we live and experience someone else's lives, it's, it's hard. And then people make assumptions and judgments. You're so right. But I, I wonder whether you could, you could share a story uh, with us, Sanir. So uh, one of the stories is, uh, I think, a couple of years back, and there was a group of us from the film industry, I think about 10 of us, we were traveling to various locations in Austria, you know, and uh, not all of us knew each other, but during those 10 days, we really bonded and, you know, became kind of close friends, uh, lots of things to share. And I remember the last day, when you know we all were sitting together by the river Rhine and talking about you know having wine and talking about our lives and at one point everyone decides that okay let's talk about how was it that they met their girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse with whom they are right now and uh, we were sitting in a circle and one by one everyone started talking about if someone had eloped, someone had, you know, uh, got married to someone who was not uh, of the same religion and, the, you know, the problems one faced and how overcoming some people had separated and married again. So there were all these various stories that everyone was talking. And then as it came to me, you know, I suddenly realized that everyone decided that without asking me, that I would be uncomfortable talking about my lived-in experience of love, uh, of whatever I've experienced, and they kind of quickly skipped me and went to the person sitting next to me. And suddenly I was sitting there with so many people and I felt that I was not there, you know, you know, and I realized that it was not intentional. They, think they all were thinking actually that I would be uncomfortable. But the truth is that it was their discomfort. The truth is that they are, they are not ready and comfortable to listen to me talking about my experiences of love with someone from the same sex. And they you know, projected their discomfort into me and decided that, you know, they will spare me the, you know, embarrassment or discomfort. Of See, there are few assumptions here, aren't they, Onir? But first question I want to ask, because I don't want to make assumptions. This group of 10 or 20 people, are they all from India? Yeah. Or are they from different national? Okay. And let's yes. get that clear, because I didn't want to have the even assumptions. Industry that went for this, you know. Uh, no. So there were, there were 10 of you, 12 of you. Yes. All born and brought up in India and sitting around and having this conversation. And then they are wanting to be kind to you. They want yes. to protect you from hurt or pain and they and they jump further and they, you know, they go to the next person. So what did you do at that point, Onir? Honestly, I didn't do anything. I just, you know, because it was so sudden, you know, that I kind of you know, when I think about it, I feel that I just retreated. I suddenly felt that I don't belong. 
till then I felt that I was a part of this group. And at that moment, for me, it was like, no, I don't belong, you know, and I don't feel that I would want after the two got over to continue, uh, you know, my friendship, you know, because very often people say that, oh, it's important to have discourse, have discuss with people. And then if you really think that I've spent my lifetime doing that, and at some point you're exhausted, you know, you're exhausted in constantly trying to validate your identity. And now I'm in, at a point of life where I am like, it's your shortcoming. And it's not my uh, job in life. It's not my uh, uh, duty to spend my time, energy, effort to constantly educate people about learning to respect someone else. No, that's you fair know. enough. But how did you feel at the time? I felt, I, I, I felt very hurt. I literally felt that I could, I would want to, you know, I don't know when I imagine myself, if I think of that evening, I feel that I just pushed back my chair from the circle. Now, I don't know if I actually did it, but that's my memory. Yeah, yeah. Just go into a space which is darker because I think I felt really, you know, almost tearful because I felt that they're my friends. They all know I'm out and proud and yet they're so reluctant to, you know, there are people I consider as friends to be able to address my identity, you know. Uh, Can I my, ask another question? Because I wonder whether it's relevant. Perhaps it's not. How long ago was this? This was about, uh, I think, just before the COVID. So, oh, so now, now, this is not, exactly. not 35 right. years ago, not, not, not a long time ago. You say. So you can't be 35. You, you, weren't, you weren't doing films at that point. You've been on in 1992. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about you and your story of unconscious bias. And, and, but you're saying at one level that you've been there, you've done it, you've explained yourself so many times that you really, it's not my responsibility anymore. But equally, uh, and, and forgive me for pushing you a little bit here, but you're still feeling it, right? He's not washing over you. Uh, it's you're feeling the hurt. And then do you not see it as your responsibility? I, for me, the thing is, these kind of hurts, you know, are again, like when you are born in a country that is still not willing to accept you as equal, you're facing it every day. So if you are constantly only addressing that, how do you, I mean, what is your life? You know, I need to live my life beyond the validation of a, a heteronormative society that finds itself unable to learn two basic things, equality and kindness, you know. And uh, beyond a point, I feel that I can't be sitting and going through this. I'm still doing it in various spaces, you know. But if I have to address this all the time, I won't be doing My films address this. You do. You, you work know? very hard at addressing these things, yes. So I use, I use my personal experiences of what the biases that I feel in my narrative. And that is how I feel that, 
these same people, some of them will definitely get to watch my film and they will know what it feels to be made invisible. It happens, you know, so often, like uh, I think a week before, you know, uh, on the uh, 30th was uh, like me and this friend of mine, we shared birthdays and I had gone because it was her 50th birthday and I was there and there were like 150 people and a few of us were asked to talk. And after I talk and then her father comes and, you know, there's some other people, takes the mic and says, and constantly the entire talk is about the boys finding the right girl to dance with. Yeah. And, you know, you're just standing there, you know, and you suddenly realize that th that's kind of not acknowledging your presence. And in today's world, where all over the news, marriage equality is being talked about, I'm there all over the news talking about it every day. I have my presence is not hidden there in the crowd because, I've, and I feel that everyone is laughing and just, you know not acknowledging you know and this that's what i mean that is how much do you what do you do you do you take the mic and say hey no i want to dance with some guy here you're after a point it's exhausting you know and you don't want to be there you just want to say that okay i'd rather be in spaces where people know how to respect people know how to celebrate your identity you know and uh, you slowly start looking for, you know, and so often, like, that's why I was telling, you'll go to a friend's house who's straight, who loves you, married, and all they will be talking about is, oh, my children, you know, they're growing up and I'm so glad. Actually, looking at the girl, I'm so glad. Ha, 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 everyone laughs. Meaning what? Meaning that they're scared that their son or daughter would be looking at someone from the same gender. It's a problem. That's why, and that's when you realize that despite all the love and affection that you get, they don't deep down accept your identity. But may I ask, Anir, because that's a very powerful thing you've said. You used the word invisible earlier on. And the fact that you are invisible in society, your identity, who you are and the fact that people don't accept you. But I, I just want to understand you better. So if, if I could ask you, when did you come out? And, and more equally importantly, what level of support did you get from your immediate close circle? As in, depending on your age, your parents, your siblings, your family, your best friends, whoever they might have been. So actually, till I was in college, I didn't even know what being gay was because I'm born and brought up in Bhutan. And uh, there was no reference point. How would I even know? I just thought that it's normal that generally boys get physical with each other. It's a part of growing up. I was hopelessly falling in love with one girl after another. Everything was a disaster. But uh, that was, and it was only in 1986 when I saw this film called My Beautiful Laundry. Oh, yes. Brilliant film. Superb. You know, I was in tears and I realized, no, this is me. And this is the word. And luckily, that was the time when I was also, it's not that physically I was not, you know, I had, you know, I was, uh, I had had physical experiences before that with uh, same sex. But I thought that it was like 
just normal like nobody talks about sex so it's just a part of that and just growing know, up yeah. yeah kind of a thing and it's a hush hush thing anyway yeah but it was only when i was in college uh, studying comparative literature that my professors started talking about greek literature about ancient indian literature about what shikhandi meant what lord ayappa stands for you know the entire concept of uh, lesbos and sodom and you know the art of uh, the concept of love in ancient greece uh, the concept of the male and female principle being a very part of hindu you know uh, uh, discourse and that's when i slowly started realizing you know and uh, it was only i think when i uh, start went to berlin to study that i would you know that i was in a space where i didn't even know like in india during college time i didn't even have the knowledge that oh it's criminalized whatever nothing you know it was just that sex is a taboo that one doesn't talk about so much and then i went to berlin and i think the awareness and experience became much more open and when i came back to and i then came to bombay i think it, there was not one instance when i sat with my family or friends and said that hey i'm gay it just organically happened with whoever was close to me that i hit nothing that my straight friends came with me to you know underground pubs that used to be there at that time voodoo's you know to see what happens and i would go with my friends and you know uh, at that time it was early days of internet and chat room explore myself and that's when you know at some point i again don't remember and my sister told me when we were writing the book that you know at some point you told me that uh, didi i have to tell you that i think i'm gay and my sister said yeah that's okay that was it she you probably know. knew it all along she just waited for you to tell her and i think uh, that was uh, you know i remember my father when my brother nikhil released i was in new york at a film festival and there was a film festival in calcutta by sathi who wanted to uh, felicitate me so my and it was a lgbtq film festival my father went there and he happily went on to stage and he said there oh, all this good but you all should go and watch the film at the theater and support you know and there was never a uh, uh, talk about marriage or you know that those pressures that never came in my house and i knew that they just organically accepted that at some point i mean be my you know uh, who i was in love with at different points in my life just like they accepted my sister's lovers uh, and the same is with my brother you know as a dean of uh, Uh, uh in a science institute in bangalore he would just share all my articles with the students saying that you need to understand so you know somewhere i've been extremely fortunate that i've not uh, faced uh what you call any kind of trauma either within myself that oh my god what am i <laughs> you know uh, there's been sadness there's been anger but not directed towards myself saying that oh shit what am i yeah, yeah. and that's uh, wonderful for one's own self worth isn't it which yes. is why i think you're saying even though people still see me as invisible and don't acknowledge as recently as april 30th at a birthday party even then you you have sort of enough self belief about your identity 
and you say that's okay. But but no, I mean, th these are difficult stories and important stories for those of us who don't experience what you do to understand. I wonder whether you could share another story with us, Anir. You know, one of the things, uh, before I get into the story, recently someone uh, at a, I was at an inclusion talk and there was this lady who says, Anir, I really want to do something for the community and, you know, I care and whatever. Tell me what could I do? How could we help you guys? And I'm like, you know, the only thing that you need to do is not help us, not try to help us. All you actually need to do is help yourself become a better human being. Because if that is what the heteronormative world did, all, you know, the world would be a better because I, you know, today when I look at the opposition to for equal marriage, I, and I think that, am I a superior human being that I can celebrate my heterosexual friends' wedding, dance at the Sangeet, feel happy at their happiness, feel happy when they have children, feel happy when they buy a house with their partners and whatever. How come, you know, these people feel, you know, don't want to see me happy doing the same things? How is it going to destroy their world? If I get married tomorrow, how is it going to affect my neighbor's marriage, right? If I open a joint account with my partner, how is it going to stop him or her doing the same, you know? So I just don't understand this not able to celebrate someone else's happiness. I not wonder, O'Neill, because I often think about this, as you know, when we, when you and I were chatting in, in Calcutta, we were, we were talking about it. and. And I just wonder, and I'm wondering what your opinion is, do you think that not just the heteronormative, the people, whether it's race, whether it's religion, whether it's a sexuality, uh, you know, able-bodied people or disabled-bodied, whichever, if an individual sees themselves as, say, better or superior, okay. um, then I think instinctively what tends to happen is they start patronizing the group that is different to them. So in, in your case, heteronormative people, and I'm making an assumption here, and maybe maybe this is not a, not a fair uh, a guide to why people behave like this, but they might think, oh, aren't we lucky that we're heterosexual? Our poor thing, you know, Onir, whoever, that person is gay. You're not assuming that is most and those kinds of assumptions are being made. And then if you're saying that and you're thinking that, whoever the you is, then, then there's a level of patronizing coming in. Yeah. Or let's leave him out. What is he going to say about his uh, relationship? We'll pass him by to the next person. Also entitlement. Entitlement that we will decide how much of freedom you can get. How much of equality is okay. Why do you have to be like this thing that people will say, no? Why do you want to be on your face? About again, uh, a month ago, I was at the Meghalaya International Film Festival at a, a panel discussion about representation of LGBTQI in cinema. And the audience was a young group of students from mass media and various such 
places. So one young student must be about 19, 20, gets up and, sir, I have a comment to make. I said, yeah, what? He's like, you know, I support LGBTQI, whatever, whatever. But, you know, these days we have noticed that there are some gays who are too gays. You know, and what what do we do to help them to be less gay? You know, not so much on your face. You know, so I'm like, you know, I'm looking at you and I think you're too straight and it's disgusting for me. Did you say that? Yeah, yeah, I told you. Oh, well done, you're brilliant. And just tell me what will you do to change yourself because it's really troubling me to look at you like this. What did he say in response? So he was getting like all worked out and I kept repeating, you know, and after a point, you know, uh, I think he understood. He sat down. He didn't leave. Okay, but what's interesting is once the session got over, you know, he came to me and said, if you're not angry with me, can I have a selfie with you? So uh, he told me, he posted a story with my photograph and he wrote that I learned so much today to become a better human being. So that meant, Bravo. you know, that, you know, because there were a lot of people after my, some of my friends saying that only you just attacked that little guy. I said, he's 21, he's not a child. And by that time I was working. So he needs to know that what he's saying is absolutely unacceptable, you know, and uh, and he needs to understand that it's hurting to be able to address it, you know. And he did that. He posted that, you know, and for me, that was a small reason to smile, you know, that someone may be, maybe a small, you know, so... That is what I meant when you asked that, you know, don't you think that you need, sometimes you do have that discourse, sometimes you're just, you know, not again, (laughs) you know. No, I get that. Yeah. It's hard work, isn't it? Because when I I think about, again, I'm thinking of that word you initially used right in the beginning about the word invisible. And and how does that feel? Um, And there are other people who are not gay, but who might see themselves as the minority, who would who would appreciate what you're saying? Um, you know, could be I, one I, single woman in a, in, a, in an office full of men, perhaps. I think women overall generally are more supportive, but when it comes to minorities, you know, like suppose in a country like ours, I mean, they are. I mean, most people of different faith you know, whether they're minorities or majority, are always united when it comes to hating us, unfortunately. And, you know, I very often tell that when I speak up for other minorities, because I feel very, very strongly, being a minority, the need to speak up for other minorities, or rather for what is wrong, you know. And I tell them that, you know, honestly, what when I speak up, I don't, I'm not doing a barter. But it saddens me to see your silence when it comes to my rights. You know, I will still continue talking about you and what is wrong, but it deeply saddens me to see the silence that, you know, you are inboxing me that only talk about this, talk about this, but all of you are silent when it comes to my journey, you know, to my uh, 
my my desire to be treated as an equal you know that's hard though um because when any one of us uh and i'm talking to you specifically you know when you're working hard at trying to show the world to be inclusive to be accepting to be non-judgmental and yet you are being treated negatively by the same people you're trying to support it must be very difficult yeah. but then how do you you do you do you're trying and you're you make films and that alone you know for those of us because this podcast is heard all over the world on you where can they see your films uh you know right now three of my films are on amazon prime you know and i uh, and uh, they're also on hot disney hotstar but i don't know there are also sometimes cut off in certain areas so i don't know if they are available in every place but most uh, in the us canada uk i know mostly it's available on these platforms and people have seen it because it's been on netflix and it's been on amazon and you know kind of and some of our films have come to the theaters when it released like my brother nikhil played in the theaters That's in right. us and uk and other places yeah. so did i am you know but uh, yeah uh, so this whole thing also i just realized that one's journey has not been of these kind of uh, biases only about one's sexuality it has been also very often about one's skin color you know and uh, you know it is very funny like i would go to a place like kashmir where i have a lot of friends and you know and they would be talking about you know someone else uh, be it an actor or whatever and very casually people say would say that both own looks of both kala kala you know in a very <laughs> which is like i'm like you're telling that to me you know how is it okay so uh, these days i make it a point that i you know i say that you know i don't like this whiteies <laughs> no it's interesting because as you know i live in london and and i happened to go for a blood test this morning and the lady who took my bloods was of of was of indian origin gujarati mm. uh, and i'm always curious so i started speaking to her and i said i'm from kerala and the first thing she said but how can you be from kerala you're not dark skinned these are the these are the assumptions and i said yeah. i'm dark skinned enough to be somebody from you know to be a keralite but the, these are the assumptions and the stereotypes that that pervade india under so many levels yeah. but from your perspective anir you know you're challenged with unconscious biases on a on a daily level you're making films you're you're challenging other people people like us the viewer to think differently but what do you do for your own um peace of mind and self worth because you have to have that to keep going what I, do you personally do i think uh one is making one's films because that's where you're expressing what you feel uh that is what challenge, what is a way of challenging that saying that no i'm not invisible the fact that you know when i wrote the book and chose a title that i'm on air and i'm gay is trying to def- defy that invisibility you know and claiming the pride that i have in my identity as a filmmaker as a human being as someone who is gay you know so i feel that for me my work becomes an important space to constantly uh 
counter invisibility, to counter biases uh, that one faces in life. That's good. That's great, Anir. Um, for those of you who have not seen any films, you now know you can get them on Amazon, uh, hopefully, depending on which country you're living in. Um, I've so enjoyed hearing your stories. They're moving and they're powerful, and I appreciate that you shared it. So, Onir, thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks for being such a wonderful listener. Thank you for listening to Stories Seldom Told. I am Smitha Tharoor. It is you, the listener, that makes this podcast what it is. If you like this podcast, please do share. If any of you anywhere in the world feel that you have stories to share, please do connect with me on social media at Smitha Tharoor on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or on my company page, Tharoor Associates, on Facebook. We will be back next week.